You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Have Bible home with you today. So if you don't have one, keep it. We want you to have the Bible to read. If you do not know where the book of Matthew is, it's in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. And it is the first book in the New Testament. So it's maybe two thirds of the way through the Bible, uh, give or take. And, uh, and it is the first book there, and we're in chapter 28. So stick your finger there, and while you are doing that, I want to talk to you about one thing. If we're talking about fake news, we have to understand what might be real first, okay? Before we can even begin to digest where the fake news comes in, we have to understand what the reality is. Now, I want to talk to you about how history accepts Jesus. Because sometimes people go, well, Jesus wasn't a real guy, or Jesus didn't really live, or Jesus didn't really die, and all these kinds of things that people tend to believe about Jesus. And I want us to understand that Jesus was historically, is historically accepted. And I don't want you to go, well, pastor, it's because you like the Bible. And the Bible tells us that Jesus lived and died. And that's true, I believe this is the word of God, and Jesus tells us in his word that he lived and died. But some people don't believe this, and that's okay. Everybody's on their own faith journey. And so we want to understand what is historically true according to the secular world. Now, um, history accepts Jesus. Historians, secular, Christian, ancient, modern, um, can't really agree in total about what Jesus' purpose was, why he was on earth. They can't really agree about whether or not he was God. But there are two facts that secular historians, Christian historians, modern historians, and ancient historians agree upon because the culmination of evidence is undeniable. And these are the two facts that history agrees upon. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate. These are two facts that the whole swath of humanity can agree upon and say, we don't know why he was here. We don't know whether or not he was God, but we will all agree on the fact that he was baptized and that he was crucified at the hands of Pontius Pilate. There was a historian in Rome, a famous Roman historian. He lived between five or 50 AD and 100 and something AD. And his name was Tacitus. Has anybody heard of Tacitus? Has anybody heard of the Roman fire um, during Nero's reign? Anybody? It's a great Roman fire. A few of you? Okay. So crash course on Roman history. Shortly after Jesus died, which is a historically accepted fact, um, there was uh, a great fire in Rome. And it just, I mean, it destroyed Rome. And the Roman emperor of the day, Nero, said, they're going to blame me for this. And so he didn't want to lose favor with the people, so he decided to point his finger at a group of people called Christians and say, Christians are the one that caused this fire. Everybody should go ahead and round them up and slaughter them because they have caused destruction upon our city. Now, Tacitus was a historian. His job, he was not a Christian, he was a Roman, and his job was to chronicle the history of Roman emperors. Now, he wrote this, and this is a quote from his writings. Consequently, to get rid of the report, the report of the fires, Nero fastened guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class of hatred for their abominations called the Christians by populace. 
Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, but again it broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but in Rome and spread even further, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty of being Christians, and then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city. So here's the thing. In a in a Roman historical report, the guy says, listen, in the swath of this great fire, Nero said, we're going to point the blame at Christians. And just so you don't know, if you don't know who Christians are, Christians are the guy, are the people who follow Christus, who was the man who was crucified by Pontius Pilate. It's a historical fact that Christ was crucified, which leaves us with a problem. Um, because if history accepts that Jesus lived, that he was real, that he was baptized by John the Baptist, which we can get into on another day, but that he was crucified by the hand of Pontius Pilate, this is a historical record, then what do we do now? What do we do after the fact that we recognize Jesus is dead? Let's turn to scripture, Matthew 28, and let's begin to look at what scripture would tell us this morning. Uh, Matthew 28. And we're going to start uh, <coughs> verses 1 through 10. So if you just follow me along, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. If you would stand for the reading of the word this morning. This picks up on the heels of what we understand to be historically true. That Jesus was crucified at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And here we have... Easter morning. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white like snow. For the fear of the guards trembled and they became like a dead man. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He has risen, just as he said he would. So come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came upon him, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you don't leave us hanging with this idea of you die. But there is something beyond that that we can enter into, a truth that goes beyond death, a hope that goes beyond the grave. And this morning, as we study your words and hear the hope that you offer us, may our hearts be changed because of it. May we stand in your light and the light that you offer. And we pray this in the name of the risen Lord, Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so history tells us Jesus died. And here's where we have to make a decision. Scripture tells us 
that Jesus is alive. Scripture tells us that two women went to the tomb to spend some time to grieve, to do what grieving people do. And lo and behold, the tomb was empty. Now, this is interesting. In our day and age, when you go to court, man or woman can testify, right? There's no problem um, if a woman gets up uh, and stands in the testimony, I don't know what it's called, box, um, right? That woman's testimony is credible, am I correct, right? No more or less credible than a man that would get up and testify, right? Right? Okay. Now, in this day and age, women weren't allowed to testify. Their word in court was considered, okay? So who does Jesus choose to reveal himself to first? Two women, right? I think this is beautiful. People who wouldn't have been able to testify in court, Jesus reveals himself to and says, hey, guess what? I want you to be my first testimony bearers. I want you to understand that things have changed. I want you to go and testify to the disciples that I am risen. I'm no longer dead. You can see me. You can hug me. I'm in the flesh. Go and testify that I am alive. And the world will change because of the testimony that you have. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a beautiful picture. And what we get from this is that Jesus is not dead. Because a dead Jesus doesn't get up and walk to Galilee. A dead Jesus doesn't say... Um, stop hugging me. You know, you've got work to do. A dead Jesus doesn't say, greetings, I'm not dead. <laughs> um, a dead Jesus doesn't say, I'll meet you there. I'll see you there in a few minutes. An alive Jesus does. And something significant happened between the death of Jesus and the moment that he met with them in the, on the road. Yeah, as they were on their way, that he met with them on the road. He was alive under his own authority, because he is the Son of God. He rose from the dead. This is what Scripture tells us is truth. Now, the problem is, while history accepts that Jesus was a person who died, and Christians accept that Jesus was God who rose, there tends to be a problem, and it's chronicled in Scripture, and we're going to read it. We believe that Jesus is alive, but, but, if you continue in Matthew, there's this idea that Jesus' body was stolen. Go ahead and continue in Matthew with me. We're going to pick up in verse 11, and we're going to read through verse 15. Now, Jesus has just met with Mary and Mary, right? Mary and the other Mary. And he says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me because I'm alive, not dead. They can see me because I'm alive. But remember the guards who fainted? because of the sight of the angel. While Mary and other Mary were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests everything that had taken place, meaning everything we just read, that the tomb was empty, that the stone was rolled back, that there was this awesomely large angel sitting there that they passed out because they were scared, okay? And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and they said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. 
So we have to wrestle with this. Scripture presents something to us that is fake news, right? This is the first fake news, right? This is the first time that the rumor mill goes out and Twitter. And what they are actually saying is the guards show up and, and guards would lose their life if they didn't do their duty. Well, a Roman legion of 8 to 16 were guarding this tomb because it was a high-profile tomb. And they were under penalty of death to make sure nobody messed with the grave because they wanted to be done with this Jesus whom they crucified. So the guards see the angel, get freaked out, pass out. No good for their life. They are going to lose their heads literally if they get in trouble for this. So they go and trembling, they tell the officials, um, okay, so the tomb's empty and there was this angel and we're scared for our lives. And the Roman, uh, and, the, and the religious leaders conspired and they said, well, we're so done with this Jesus. We killed him and we can't have him coming back to bother us anymore. So we're going to take money from the temple treasury, God's money, and we're going to give it to you, Roman soldiers, and we're going to ask you to lie about what happened. We're going to ask you to say that you fell asleep, and while you were asleep, the disciples came, moved the heavy stone, took the body, and then you woke up, and oh no, the body was gone because it was stolen. So take this money and tell this lie, and we promise that when your boss finds out that you fell asleep, we will satisfy him and say, it's okay, don't kill them. <laughs> right? So that's exactly what they did. They went and they told everyone they could. They blasted on Twitter and Instagram. They took <laughs> pictures, right, of the empty tomb with their buddy snoozing next to it. Hey, look, John fell asleep. Jesus' body was stolen. And then it went out on CNN. And it went out on Fox News, right? And then it went out, and it was just everywhere. Jesus' body was stolen. Jesus' body was stolen. The disciples came in the night and took Jesus' body. Did you hear that Jesus' body was stolen? Did you hear that the guy that we crucified, he's still dead? There's nothing fancy about him. He couldn't be God. He's not alive. His body was stolen. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is still fake news. This is still the news that people believe, that Jesus wasn't really God and that he didn't really rise from the dead. But yes, he was crucified, historically accepted fact, but that nothing after that came. And scripture puts the two passages together to challenge us. We, we have to make a decision in this moment when we hear the fact that Jesus historically is accepted as a man who lived and died and scripture tells us that Jesus is alive, but also tells us that there is fake news that Jesus' body was stolen. How do you respond to this? There's a passage in scripture. Um, if you flip Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel. Flip a few pages forward. Luke, it's up there, 24, 37. We'll start there. This is after the resurrection. This is after Mary and the other Mary have gone to the disciples and said, you'll never guess what I just experienced. The stone was rolled back. Jesus wasn't in there. You want to know why he wasn't in there? Oh, ask us why he wasn't in there. Ask us. You want to know why? Because we hugged him. Because he spoke to us. Because he's alive. 
and he said he's coming to meet with us. This is what happens next. Luke 24, pick up in verse 37. How about 36? Jesus appears to his disciples. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. I kind of, I think Jesus is really cool. And I, it doesn't tell us, but when I read those verses, I kind of picture like Mary and the other Mary are talking to the disciples, right? And there's a bunch of disciples around and the, there's this chaos and this commotion and this excitement. What do you mean, Mary? What do you mean? The stone's really heavy and how could this be? And I don't understand what's happening. And then, and then it just says, and Jesus himself stood among them. It's not like he walked in the door. Scripture doesn't tell us that he like sauntered in. Scripture just said that he stood among them. And I kind of picture like, poof, there's Jesus right in the middle of them. And I don't know if that's what happened, that's what I picture. And there Jesus was among them and he said, peace to you. How, how cool would that be? You know, just all of a sudden there's Jesus and you're debating and he's right here and you don't know that he's there until he says, peace to you. And you're like, dude, Jesus, <laughs> right? Because it's just like, because you're not expecting that, right? You're not expecting that. And they were startled right? and frightened. Because they thought they saw a ghost. But he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. It's I myself touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. And you see that I have flesh and bone. I imagine he's like pinching his cheeks or I don't know, whatever. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling and they said, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave, I know, right? I mean, resurrecting must burn some calories, okay? <laughs> Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in front of them. And it didn't drop on the floor, because he had flesh, and it went into his stomach, right? And it was protein, and it sustained him. How far are we going? 47, okay. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead. And that the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That is so awesome. This is something that we have to decide how we're going to respond to. We have to decide how we are going to respond to the fact that history doesn't doubt that Jesus was killed. But scripture tells us that he rose from the dead, but that fake news has been spread from the moment that he rose. The minute he rose from the dead, fake news was out and about. And we have to make a decision in our hearts. How are we going to live our life? Are we going to live our life believing that Jesus who lived and died actually rose from the dead to give us life and hope and eternal salvation? Or are we going to choose to believe fake news? News that says, yeah, he died and that was it. He died and nothing more. In fact, that's all that life will ever be. We die and that's it. No hope. No promise of something to come. No eternal love that welcomes us when we breathe our last. 
But those are the only two choices we get to make this morning. A choice to believe that Jesus rose from the dead in our place to give us life. Or a choice that he didn't. And that that's all life is. Um, scripture tells us when we choose to respond, we might be like the disciples. We see Jesus and we are fearful. We are doubtful. We are uncertain. We don't know. And Jesus says, test me. Touch my hands. Touch my feet. Hang out with me. Talk to me. Tell jokes with me. Like, let's be friends before you decide to believe fake news. Let's go to the source and talk to Jesus. Scripture says in John, and this is a quote from Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus. I am the way to heaven, to salvation, to peace with the Father. I am the way. He says, I am the truth. And truth means 100% truth all of the time, never lying, no falsehood. I am the way to God the Father. I am the 100% truth. And I am the life. It continues in that verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to the Father is through me. So we must reconcile what we believe about Jesus. Do we believe that he rose from the dead? And if so, then we believe that he is the only way to receive forgiveness for our sins. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only person who will ever tell us the truth 100% of the time. He is the only one who can guarantee us life. Not just life now, filled with joy and hope, but life eternal forever with him. And what he says in John 6.37 is our hope. I will never reject anyone who comes to me. I will never reject anyone who comes to me. I like the trumpet. Jesus comes back. We can work with that, right? Okay. How many of you have been rejected before for any reason, right? You want to experience that again? No? You want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will never be rejected no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've hung out with? No matter what's been done to you, no matter the scars that you carry, no matter the baggage that you lug around, no matter anything, Jesus is the truth. He will always tell you the truth, always. And he says, I will never reject anyone who comes to me. This morning we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to choose what we want to believe. We can choose to believe the truth that I have experienced in my own life, and I proclaim it as true, that Jesus is the Lord of my life, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he forgave me, and that he rose again, and I am walking in the newness of life with him, and I'm not perfect, but the more I walk with Jesus, the more I want to be, and he is enabling that in my life. Or we can choose to believe that he was just a guy that lived and died, but then we don't live with this hope. And we don't get to experience the fact that we will never be rejected.
Christ will never reject you. C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. You guys familiar with C.S. Lewis? Yes. Right? Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote a book called Mere Christianity. Um, and in that book, he, he quotes himself, right? I guess that's what happens when you write a book. I didn't say I was the smartest cookie in the crayon in the whatever. Okay. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That I'm not ready to that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but that I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil from hell. And you have to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord, God, and Savior. But let's not come with any nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Jesus wants us to make a choice. He wants us to wrestle with this. He wants us to realize that the way that we live is not the way he would have us live. The way that we live is not the way that we would find the most joy in living. The way that we will find the most joy and the most peace and the most hope is through him and him alone, and he will never reject you. This morning there are some in here that have received that promise, that know what it is like to be accepted despite who you know you are to be. And that is glorious. But there are also some folks in here who have never experienced that, who live life knowing who Jesus is, have heard about God, and maybe even believe in God, or a higher power, or something, but have never yet said, it's Jesus. The guy who actually died is the guy who actually rose, and he did that for me, me so that I can have hope, and he never rejects me. And I want to claim that this morning. We're going to spend some time um, in communion, and uh, we're going to pass the elements around for you to partake. And I would ask that you would hold the elements as the song is being played, worship and pray, and then we will take a moment to partake in the communion elements together. These communion elements are special and significant elements. Ones that demonstrate the body and the blood of Jesus being broken on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. So as the ushers are coming forward to help us distribute the elements and the worship team is coming forward to help lead us in worship, I'm going to go ahead and close this moment in prayer. And, uh, and again, as the elements are being passed, if you would take and hold them. Lord, this morning we've been faced with a real doozy of a challenge. Do we believe your word? Or do we believe the fake news that has been around for generations? Lord, we ask in these moments as the elements are being passed and held, as the worship team is leading us in song, 
Would you speak to our hearts? Would you reveal to us that you are the way to life? The truth, 100% unfaltering. And that you are life. You are alive. You are hope. And if there's any way that we are not in step with you, would you tap us on the shoulder, on the heart? Would you nudge us? Would you gently lead us to you this morning, Father? Because you will not reject us. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.